Hey everyone, so I'm here with Jess and our special guest, Kevin Kreider, who is a, among other things, uh, a male model, fitness coach. I mean, Kevin, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. I'm Kevin Kreider. I'm a Korean American adoptee. I'm a fitness lifestyle coach and also uh, a model as well currently. Yeah, I'm very glad this is a podcast and not a video because I'm very confident in my looks. But when I'm next to a male model, uh, you know, probably look like a goblin. So thank <laughs> God it's a podcast. <laughs> Kevin, why don't you tell us uh, where we people might have seen you in, in terms of like YouTube or other projects you've done? Wait, I think that's where I come in and just say, oh, no, th- no, you won't. You won't look like a goblin next to... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, all jokes aside. Um, you probably see me. Um, I just did a Huffington Post video um, perspectives on um, Asian American issues and just uh, stereotypes in the media and dating scene and um, just YouTube channel. I have a pretty popular YouTube channel and uh, Instagram handle. And... Um, also, there was a documentary being filmed called The Ugly Model Doc um, by a production company and directed by Doris Young, who is uh, also doing um, a film based around my life growing up as an Asian-American male model and fitness coach in America and the stereotypes and um, just my life growing up and just coming out of that. Yeah, that's, that's probably where you might have seen me. Uh, what's your YouTube channel and Instagram handle? I mean, we'll put it in the links to the reference resources, but uh, the listeners might want to know. Yeah, so my YouTube channel is just my name, Kevin Kreider, K-R-E-I-D-E-R. And same thing with my Instagram handle. You can find it there as well. Kevin, are you doing squats like right now? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sitting my ass on the chair. I might stand at one point. <laughs> Actually, Kevin, <laughs> what is the most overrated exercise? The most overrated exercise is the crunch yeah i haven't done crunches in years yeah the crunch is pretty useless you're better off just doing like planks or swiss ball rollouts or leg raises or yeah it's it's pretty useless i see tons of people doing crunches still and it just kind of makes me laugh because i i used to be like that too but i was like 16 (laughs) escape from plan a My name is Lara Jean. I was used to being invisible. No one was paying attention to what I was doing. I write a letter when I have a crush so intense that I don't know what else to do. There are five total. Peter with the beautiful eyes. Kenny from camp. Lucas from homecoming. John Ambrose from Model UN. And Josh, the boy next door. Hi, and welcome to Escape from Plan A, Plan A Magazine's podcast. And tonight we have, as I said, very special guest, Kevin Kreider and podcast veteran, at least in our terms, Jess. Hey. So tonight's episode, we're going to talk about uh, this new Netflix movie that's coming out. It's called uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is by an Asian-American writer named Jenny Han. It was a very popular YA series several years ago, and they're finally making a movie out of it. The trailer just dropped. Uh, a lot of people are excited, but it's also caused a lot of discussion on Asian American spaces, whether it's like in the Asian American subreddit or on Facebook. Uh, so much so that Next Shark uh, wrote a, wrote something about it, and it hasn't really been picked up by like the mainstream press. And it's and the problem is that the story revolves around this one Asian girl. I mean, she's supposed to be half Asian in the book, but she's played by full Asian in the movie, 
And it's all about like these crushes she has, but none of them are Asian. There's like four white. I mean, one of them supposed to be apparently played by like a Cuban actor, I think. But I mean, he's pretty much white passing. And I think the character he plays is white. And then one black character, which somebody who read the book told me that this is like the least important character. So I think this just raises the issue of when Asian Americans care so much about media rep, is there a problem of it not equally benefiting all segments of Asian Americans. So what do you guys think to start it off? When I first saw that it was just all guys that were white and then like like you said, like a black guy at the end that she had crushes on. Um, I actually had to look backwards because I was like, wait, is that first crush, is he Asian? No, he's like just a tan <laughs> white guy. You know, I was like, okay, another one of these movies. Like, I'm sorry, Netflix. It, doesn't seem original to me. I mean, like a movie about an Asian girl like liking white dudes is like, to me, not original. You know, it's like kind of uh, what's happening, what we see a lot in America right now. And I get it. Like, it's got a great story of like having uh, an Asian lead, which is great. But what I see is, though, it's just going to perpetuate and hopefully it doesn't. But if we don't talk about it, it could perpetuate that stereotype that Asian women really just love white dudes or look down on Asian guys. Um, and that in turn, that will weaken the um, strength of the Asian American culture, period, overall, all around, even though there is a, a, a leading woman in, in this in this movie. Jess, what are your thoughts? I, I agree. Um, just a quick uh, point. I didn't read the book. Uh, so I'm not, and I'm not familiar with Jenny Han, the author. So it's okay. Like none of us have read the book. Uh, so my feeling about this is that it's, uh, again, without having any background information, uh, like without having interacted with the material or really following up on the, like the reaction to it, uh, it feels like a time capsule kind of production. I think it speaks to the divide between Asian men and Asian women to the point where the author, like legitimately, like it maybe ha like maybe just did not see like Asian men as like objects worthy of fantasy, right? Uh, because it's it feels like it's very much a work talking through like female like coming of age, right? Coming into her own like romantically, sexually, and then it's all and then it's about you know those objects of desire. I don't know if the um, do you know if the the character in the book the protagonist actually like like dates all of these guys? Or are they just like like objects in her head that she kind of fantasizes about? And it's a uh, it's it's worthy of it's worthy of some scrutiny, I think. Like it, it's it's it can't just go uh, like unspoken at this point, you know. Uh, I I think the overall story of of this book is that these are her classmates. She has very intense crushes on them so much so that she writes letters to them as though um, they're like having some kind of correspondence. But then the the big uh, plot is that they somehow get released these letters and the, the the guys or the whole school reads them i think that's the main plot of the oh that is the, mortifying uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh okay okay uh, well, but I, mean... <laughs> I think what i want to say is i think it's very important to f focus on the fact that it, this is an issue because the, the the interests are white because i think some will try to say well you're you're just being racist because you're against interracial relationships but uh, actually, just last week, Netflix released this romantic comedy with Lucy Liu, in which her main love interest is a black man. I forgot the actor's name, but actually nobody in any of the Asian online spaces, even the more, shall we say, like troublesome ones, nobody really cared. And I think it's because w with like black 
black men or black women it, it's not there's no like kind of this idea that there's this, like systemic um like propaganda machine forcing certain pairings together while driving others apart it's just something that happens at a relatively normal rate as you would expect in kind of like a racist society but nobody really cared about this uh that movie whereas a lot of people cared about this one so i think it's very important to f- focus on the fact that it really matters that the the interests are white not just that they're non-asian that's not the real issue and i think people who try to do it try to say it's because they're non-asian are trying to get away from the actual troublesome aspect because if it's whiteness then you bring in colonialism you bring in imperialism white supremacy yeah, i agree and all that. with what you were saying too like it's not about the fact that we don't see interracial dating as like something we shouldn't do like asians can only date asians like that's ridiculous right yeah um i think just following following up on that it's the idea behind like representation here is really normalization right to have enough depictions and have them at a frequent enough rate and at such saturation that the impression overall of this particular group is normalized as as full human beings, right? And part of that normalization is involves involves an element of fantasy too. Like the problem with uh, the problem I have with uh, with uh, Jenny Han's book here is that if she's holding these these she's holding these men up as objects of fantasy in that case. To kind of normalize that experience and you know if it's i think it is a snapshot into a particular moment in time right where where uh, these groups of say men are considered worthy of like fantasy right uh and so it's it feels a little bit more normal and in this case it means that her own group of uh, her, the group of men that she should be cl- most closely aligned with asian men aren't considered worthy objects of fantasy and I think that's 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 what it comes down. To. And when we're talking about interracial like like dating, uh, we talk about it politically. We talk about it in terms of ramifications, especially in terms of like like as activism or awareness of you know our group in relation to others, especially in opposition to say white supremacy and things like that. But what's really going on is is wanting for it to be seen as normal, right? To see to see for Asian men and Asian women to see each other as uh, as normal possible like normal partners right within the realm of possibility and i think to have that happen you need an element of fantasy you need to be able to fantasize about this group of people we need the hot versions we need the normal ones we need we need all we need all all types it's just that we don't have access to the number uh and the uh, we just don't have access to the type of representation that gets that image out there so you end up kind of stuck so if and as a girl growing up, you know, in in the media climate of the last few decades, um, it's it's not hard to see how uh, an Asian American woman would grow up to be able to view like white men and black men or Hispanic men even as objects of fantasy. But like, there's no room there for Asian men because it's just not it's just not out there. Like every depiction is a caricature. It's pathological, but it's never it's it's never hot. Like when we talk about attraction, there has it has to be about like gut feeling. Regarding visibility, in the trailer, she the character talks about how she always feels invisible. I think the troubling aspect, the implicit message seems to be like a lot of Asian Americans deal with feeling invisible, irrelevant, uh, etc. And the way to be seen is to gain the attention of white people. 
I think that, and I think that's why the the whiteness matters, and it's it's uh, something that is a common message that is internalized by a lot of Asian Americans. Yeah, and I don't even think it's just Asian Americans, tell you the truth. I, I believe it's bleeding into a lot of Asia, actually. I mean, I just took a two-month sabbatical in Southeast Asia and learned a lot from the people there. And um, even the white people recognize that they're seen as like a status symbol just to be in a group setting because they need more authority. And having a white dude in the room makes it an authority like oh these people must know something that we don't know you know like this company they have a white guy in, in uh, on, on the board yeah. you know um and it's like really disappointing um in asian culture especially asian culture that we give so much power over to them the fact that we like see them as superior and like gods and white worship over there. And that's the word they use. I, I, I didn't come up with that. You know, they've actually like I've had Asian women say, yeah, there's a lot of white worshiping here in Southeast Asia. And I'm, I know it's not just Southeast Asia. It's like here in America. It's everywhere, you know, and that's East. Asia yeah, too. it's Asia. It's just Asia. And I think like since we have the biggest population and that's where our mindset is. That's what ends up happening, you know, like we buy into uh, white people's bull. And it's like, I don't know if you can curse on this, so I stop myself. But it's like we 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 stop ourselves from having our own power and then doing this because we, yeah, like you said, we buy into the fact that it's a status, that you're seen at a higher level, that you're seen as more desirable and intelligent. But the media controls that. The media totally controls the mindset of how we're seen in culture and how we view other races too. And there is a pecking order. It's a judgment of like seeing who's in fear and who's superior to each other. And it's, it's bullshit. It's, it's actually really messed up. And the fact is we're actually aware of it now, but the problem is we can't stop the chain because we're all trying to get to the top. But then the way to get seen and visible and to get to the top is to be with a white person um, in movies or dating or anything like that, you know, and, when I was just in Southeast Asia talking to a, a brand out there, it was a, it was like a marketing company, and they said, "Well, I think what might work is if you have like a white woman or a man with you while you're doing the workouts and stuff." I was like, "What? Why don't I just work out myself or have a hot Asian girl?" No, you kind of need. And I'm like, "This is messed up, right? <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous. You know, it's not just movies and media; it's everything. You know." Yeah, Kevin, I listened to your pod uh, about Crazy Rich Asians, and I want you to talk a bit more about your own modeling ex- experience, because you were talking about how it's very clear there's a racial hierarchy in modeling, oh, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, this was, this wasn't even that long ago. It was about, like, seven or eight years ago. Um, but, like, I've, speaking, I've spoken to Singaporeans since, and it's gotten worse, actually. Um, but, yeah, oh, like, when I got there, I literally knew nothing about Asian culture that much except like you know I'm Asian and I'm model so I hope I do better and my agent literally sat me down and was like you're tan we can't have you tan because you probably have a less chance of working and so I actually asked him I was like because I'm tan what what, what's the association and he's like um well we it's just dark skin we don't like dark skin here you need to look whiter the better you look like a slave worker um and by the way like you know and then i saw i was like why aren't there that many asian models on your roster it's because uh 
we um, see white people as white men, especially as like the top of the hierarchy. They get the most jobs, the most castings, they get booked more, everything. They're just more valuable, basically. And then the half Asians get the same amount of treatment. And um, I just recently found out too, like half Asians, they don't get as much treatment as like the white people because, you know, like in when you're half Asian, you get flown over there, right? Um, but you still have to pay it back, you know? But for, like, there's a lot of white people who they pay for their flights, they pay for them to stay, and it's all in the contract and stuff like that. And then um, I didn't, I, me being a full Asian, I had to pay everything. I had to put everything up front, you know? I didn't get that privilege of getting anything spotted except for maybe my apartment, you know? And that was, like, a big thing. So they actually treated you and gave you less opportunity based off of that hierarchy, you know? And um, then they were saying, like, well, Korean-American adoptees or just Korean-Americans in general are considered more desirable than Chinese-Americans and then go so on and so forth. And that was a really that was a really big blow to uh, um, my pride in the Asian culture, actually, at one point. I was really disappointed. Yeah, um, and I remember coming back from it feeling awful about not just myself, but being Asian, and it was it was horrible experience in a sense of like it was great in a sense like I'm in an Asian culture, I, I wanted to experience it again, but it was just horrible like hearing that, you know, and I actually went along with it because I didn't know anything better. Nobody was talking about it. Nobody had a podcast about this stuff. Nobody was talking about it on YouTube eight years ago, you know. So Kevin, I have a question for you. So given your last name, um, do you get do you get people who assume that you're Hapa or, or anything like that? Yeah, I, I've actually had that asked quite a bit because, um, you know, like there's, you get, I get mixed things. There's some people say, no, you look full Asian. Other people say, no, you look a little half and stuff like that. But like, I, I mean, I'm full Asian. I've always been. And uh, yeah, they get confused with that last name until I tell them that I'm Korean adopted. Then it's like, oh, you must be like Taiwanese or something like that, you know? Yeah, I, I have a friend, um, I, and he's he's full Asian. He doesn't even have uh, he, not an adoptee, so he even has a uh, uh, like an Asian name. But people who don't know that, uh, like he's 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 tall, he's tan, extremely good looking, and it's the fact like he he's full Asian, like no doubt in my mind. And I grew, I mean, I know that. Uh, but he says he, he when he talks to like Asian Americans who may have grown up, you know, in more isolated areas without, you know, too much Asian representation in real life. Uh, he says those people are always stunned that uh, that he's full Asian. Like they just assume that because he's hot, he would have had white blood. in <laughs> Yeah, him. no, I know. That's disappointing, too. Right. Like, actually, that's that kind of goes into tying it all up. Like, it seems like the more white you have the hotter you are over there, you know, it's more desirable. And uh, that is kind of disappointing to hear from like an Asian guy, you know, who's like, wow, you know, like, but you'll never be half white or all white, you know? Oh, but that's, that's the desirable look, you know? Right. But it's not even like, I felt like from that, from what he was talking about, the feedback he's like gotten, uh, and I've hung out with him before and I've seen, you know, I've seen this firsthand, um, from like women and just people in general who just like have to stop and talk to him to see what he's about. Um, like he's absolutely 100% full Asian. So if he's hot, 
that's hot in a in an in a very in an Asian way, right? Like he's Korean, like he's a uh, like that's that's what a hot Asian looks like, right? But it's the fact, and there's no trace of whiteness either. But it's the fact that he was aesthetically pleasing that was ascribed to whiteness, mm. without having a trace of like white characteristics. Like he doesn't have the uh, like a stereotypically high like nose bridge, or you know he's really he's a chiseled face, you know, strong, angular, but in a very but that's the Asian look, you know, like like Korean men have really strong facial features. It's just uh, that's. That's just the way he was born, and he's worked really hard to maintain it. But the fact that, you know, if a woman, especially, like, a, a non-Asian woman approached him, and she'd be, like, stunned that he's not, like, part white. Yeah. And, and, and like, Asian women <laughs> would be, like, looking for it. Like, like, no. Like, if he's like, no, I'm, I'm Korean. My dad's Korean. My mom's Korean. Everyone in my family. Like, funny there was, This that. is just all, it's all me. And they'd be like, no. Like, you're just, like, you're yanking my chain here. Like, there's, like, Asians can't look like you. And it's like, God, are you kidding me? Like, like it's on the one hand, like this representation of like the most gorgeous, the beautiful ones of us, like they are exceptions, right? Like if we talk about white standards of beauty or Asian standards of beauty, I know like I don't match up to either one really, but it's that one, like it's the fact that that image of what an authentically Asian standard of beauty is like out there that normalizes every, that normalizes things for the rest of us even. So you don't have to be like you don't have to be looking for whiteness in an Asian man's face because you found him hot, you know, and and conversely, for, and that doesn't exist for Asian women. I think I think Asian women are valued for like we're on the other end of that, right? Like we're held to the that stereotypically orientalized image of Asian women in the media. Yeah, I was about to say that too. It doesn't go and that, but it that, and it's like the complete inverse for Asian men. And this is these are all rules written. Uh, we didn't control that narrative. These scripts were written these for us by, let's face it, white people. So I think like works like 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 to all the boys kind of reflects that division, that forcible division. Yeah, or they are creating the marketplace. I, I mean, it's it's like yeah. it's it's a thing that's a representative of the of its time and also perpetuates it, right? Like any piece like that will will propagate that effect uh and it was a popular book so that audience the audience that that consumed it um is sizable so it's both like a reflection of probably the effects that she had growing up and you know who she normalized as as uh like lust worthy objects and like and then and then writes about her own experiences but that also like normalizes that same mindset for upcoming generations too yeah, the thing about your your uh, full Asian, a uh, full Korean friend, I think that highlights the the issue with crazy rich Asians, which you Kevin brought up in your pod, and you know quite a number of other Asian Americans have s- talked about. But again, it's like this topic that we're not allowed to talk about. It's always suppressed. Is the the male lead in crazy rich Asians is uh, half white, and and it's like okay, if it's like a one time thing, then sure. But there's this uh, new movie that's going to be out. Um, it's based on a very popular YA novel called The Sun is Also a Star. And again, the, the male lead there is full Korean. It's, it's like this a teenage love story between him and a Jamaican-American girl. And again, they, they cast this guy named Charles Melton, who, like, he just kind of looks like a vaguely ethnic white guy to me. But he, he is, like, half Asian, and they cast him. And what's really, I think, insidious is that I'm pretty sure that the guy they cast as his racist older brother is full Asian. So... And I think that guy could have easily been the male lead. If, if it is who I think it is. It, so it's, 
And actually, and if they cast a full Asian uh, girl as the Hapa girl in uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, it just propagates this message that every Asian American in- intrinsically knows and feels, even if they pretend not to know, is that Asianness is valued in women by American society, but not in men. And I think it's shows itself in this Hollywood colorism. Yeah, and I think Hollywood probably just says, oh, look, we got a little bit of Asian in, in the guy. Like, that should count, right? Like, don't you see them as full Asians? And it's obviously not. I mean, because they treat and give opportunity more to the half Asians than the full Asians, right? And um, I just think that's a problem because the future generation growing up, you know, there's going to be a lot of full Asian men growing up. And if they only see hapas or halves um, playing these romantic leads, but then only seeing full Asians being the angry role or the stereotype role, it's it could really hurt people's self-esteem if they're not brought up properly to have a positive self-image about themselves or have positive role models to actually look up to or a full Asian, because that's really unrealistic for almost all of them to be able to be half Asian or look like that. And, um, you know, that's another thing, too. It's like Asian culture again. I mean, if we're going to blame anything for these hapas being on movies and screen, it we have only to blame ourselves now because we end up idolizing and worshiping um, a half Asian, half white person now. And so it's the same thing with Hollywood. It's like, you know, what Hollywood's going to do, they're going to pump out what we like. And if that's what we're buying... That's what they're going to pump out more of. And so, yeah, that's where it goes with that. Yeah, and this is not to hate on on half Asians. I mean, they're always, they're always welcome in our community. On that issue, I'm, I'm torn. Uh, because uh, Hapa's... I, I, I do see them as Asian, right? There's a, there's a broader Asian-American community. And Hapa's most certainly are included in that for me. Like, as a matter of principle, Right. I mean, for that one, I mean, if they choose to identify as Asian and they put in the work, then absolutely. Uh, like, it's tough to look at, say, Henry Golding and Crazy Rich Asians and then and say, well, he's not Asian because he, he is. Um, I don't know. I don't know how he personally feels about it. But it seems like like he's he's been embracing that. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe you guys know more about how he's how he's come across uh, in uh, in interviews and what have you. But on the one hand, like like I welcome I welcome him as an Asian American, uh, and then on the other, I I understand the concern there, right? That it's it's perpetuating uh, politically, it's polit- it's propagating known biases that these people are carriers who who may even who look white whiter than most Asians will, and it's that trait that celebrates that is being celebrated. Um, when they're being held up as objects of like, like when they're supposed to be the lead, when women are supposed to be looking upon them with, uh, with lust, right. As desirable objects. Yeah. And my, my frustration is that we're not allowed to talk about it because other minority communities do talk about it a lot. Like, uh, in, with the black community, uh, I remember like, I don't know if it was a year or two ago. Remember when like Jesse Williams, the actor was kind of big and he was, making a lot of speeches about racial justice and things. I remember, I forget where, which award show it was, but he went up and he, and he's like a fairly light-skinned black guy. I think he has like green eyes as well. And he openly acknowledged the fact that he has advantages over, you know, like darker skinned black people. And that he would, you know, try to fight for greater representation for them and, and 
for that. And there are a lot of other black uh, actors do that as well. Like um, Amanda Stenberg, I, th I think that's her name, the, the very young actress. I think she like talked about turning down certain roles because she thought that she wasn't dark enough and they should go to a dark, darker skinned actress. So at least uh, if you can talk about it, it it's, it's a step towards it. But with Asian Americans, we're not even allowed to talk about it. We're seen as... Like if you if you even question this, you're seen as some kind of like race purist of, of like a like some kind of like imperialist Japan level. And I think I think the real issue here is that the, the issue is that if you question uh, that place of half Asians in the Asian American community, it's seen as a proxy attack on WMAF because it's it's not like Asian men and Asian women are are having half uh, children at the same rate. So it is seen as as like a, like another way to attack WMAF. And I think that's a real reason we're not allowed to talk about what's a very obvious colorism issue. Well, yeah, I agree with that. Um, also, too, it kind of threatens their belief, right? Like the, this whole time they are, they don't want to be questioned. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to look at themselves and be like, well, what is my motive for only wanting to date or dating a white guy, right? Um is it because of my insecurities? Is it because I um, are kind of ashamed to be seen with like another Asian guy because subconsciously they know all the stereotypes and all that kind of stuff? Like you really have to question yourself that way. Nobody wants to question themselves. And then you have to question if your white boyfriend looks down on other Asian men too. And that often happens, you know, like a lot of white guys who just prefer to date Asian women, and you know, I'm generalizing in this, but a lot of them do see that. They're like, well, it's because, you know, even the Asian girl tells me there's just not a lot of tall, handsome Asian guys out there. I'm like, bullshit. There's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Go to Asia. You'll see a million of them. Um, it's just that, like, I literally just think it just threatens their uh, their belief. It, it just, like, threatens who they are. And to, to find out that maybe you were wrong this whole time, like, this white guy really treated you poorly and he's unattractive, but you just gave him so many slides because you have this insecurity about yourself, like about being Asian and you want to date somebody of stature. That that sucks to handle, you know, like not many people want to face that. It's just that I think it just really shakes the cage a little bit too much for a lot of them. Hey, by the way, I hope at the end of this movie with, you know, to all the boys I've ever loved, like she finds out, oh, my God, these white guys really treated me like shit. And then she falls in love with an Asian guy. That'd be great. <laughs> Actually, no, it's a uh, it's like a three part series. She I think it's, uh, she like stays with like the male lead. And, and and the weird thing about this is like she like the character is half Asian, but the Asian mother, I think, is dead from the start. So she's only has like her white dad and a bunch of sisters. And I think I heard that the then her white dad remarries a white woman. So then it's like a bunch of Asian girls in this all white family. I don't know. The whole I find the whole thing very creepy. Um, I still think my ending's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the whole story, like, it, I don't know, it gives me it makes me a little sad. Like, I don't even want to read this book, you know, Um and it's, uh, I mean, it's it's so far removed from, like, my own experience as a young adult. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a really, like, Asian-dominated area. And um, and so all my crushes growing up, they were Asian. You know, I mean, I never, like, acted on any of them. Like, I never got any action in high school. Uh, I barely dated in college. Oh, all, um, those, all those boys are stupid, Jess. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, but like, like, like to me, it just like, and I, I grew up with, you know, white media and everything, but like, I had so uh, such a high density of like representation where it actually mattered, like the guy, the cute boy sitting next to me, right? Uh, in math or whatever, right? Like, it just like, it never occurred to me that like, to go outside of that, like, they are the same culture, right? They, we speak the same, we, we, we may not speak the same language. I grew up Korean in a predominantly Chinese neighborhood, but still, like, like we're united in this. We have this uh, thing in common, which is like our little community against everyone else, right? Um, and like, and when you're that age, you're you're, you know, you got the hormones going, so you're fantasizing. You know, you're spinning off all these crazy stories based on nothing, right? Just like whatever you've seen in the movies or in books or something, kind of spinning this image of romance and love and and yeah, sex. Right from all of that, um, and and to, I don't know. It feels a little weird, like as a as a as a girl, to be fantasizing about something so foreign to me as it would have been as it would have seemed to like fantasize about a like say a white guy, like it speaks. I think it says um, a lot about uh, where power dynamics are, where you feel so disempowered in yourself and so lost in yourself as a woman as a girl growing up in this in this really harsh society where you feel like you need to go so far out of your own comfort zone your own uh, your own identity to be able to like accessing difference is so much more important than safety and nurturing and care and tr and true connection so I, f I feel for those women i really do uh, the ones who exotify, and it's, it's not healthy. Like, that's not, if you want to find a relationship, everyone says it so much, it's a cliche. You want to find someone who has enough in common with you. But these relationships, the relationships that are formed on, like, like exotified, like, fantasies, um, that's trying, that's fetishizing difference. So that's already, like, a really unhealthy way to start any kind of lasting bond between people. This is more you trying to become one with, like, unimagined ideal of yourself out there and a like that relationship is going to be doomed and b you are not going to be happy for it if you are not centered in yourself right if you're not secure in who you're about in who you are what you were about and what you stand for like you're going to get lost isn't that kind of weird how like a lot of asian women too don't want to be like objectified but yet they objectify white men right isn't that kind of like odd I always thought uh, that the num that all the pieces that Asian women write about yellow fever are humble brags. Um, like I'm not, and I'm not that I'm not trying to discredit, you know, the danger and the the actual risk to safety caused by like Orientalization, fetishization of Asian women. Right, that's very real and that has very significant effects. But, um, but like the, the women writing it aren't the, are, are I, I just can't support that kind of writing. Like to me, it's like, like, uh, like, like they're kind of like talking about how hot they are. Like, oh, I can't even go out to a bar without all these men just coming after me because, you know, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so beautiful. Right. And so even though they're reacting, like, like, it's the same reason why, like, so many people were talking about anorexia like 10 15 years ago when the real epidemic was obesity so that's kind of the parallel that i see like the actual problem is not the one that's being discussed the one that's al allowed is actually the one that privileges the most privileged of us like i'm a completely average looking person like i work in largely white spaces but you know like 
Uh, I'm not. I'm neither hot by white standards nor by Asian standards, really. Um, and it's uh, it's so to see like women kind of kind of talk like so their experience. These women who talk about like yellow fetishization by white men, that's an experience that I'm a little bit removed from because I never was uh, an object of that kind of like desire or. Or anything like that. I can't speak for women, but I sometimes see the same thing when I see like this. Off obviously, obviously doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes I see like Asian guys complaining about being fetishized because of of like K-pop or something. And yeah, that's like hundred percent humble bragging. They're uh, it's it's. I think they're just using that as an excuse to just talk about all the times that they get hit on. I think it's obviously different for men and women just because of just the social dynamics and safety and stuff. But they're uh, at least with the guys, whenever they talk about that, they're. It's not a hundred percent negative thing, so it's it's very disingenuous to act like it is. Yeah, and to be able to talk about it, I think uh, you still have to be one of the privileged ones to even to be able to call it out. Otherwise, you get you, you get told you're just you know sour grapes, right? So if like a you know a homely chunky Asian woman was talking about you know the danger of yellow fever, uh, the reaction to like oh shut up, like you're just you're just bitter. That you know you're not getting the top tier guys or something, and likewise, like, like for and I see that leverage against Asian men too. Like, oh, shut up! You're just a virgin. You're just angry, right? Just, just go away. Um, so I I see parallels <laughs> that honestly, like, uh, like again going back to like anorexia when the real problem is obesity. The people who were being fetishized in this discussion were thin people who showed up nicely in photographs, right? And they get the victim treatment. They get the. Uh, they get the uh, sympathy, but still, you know, under the media's eye. So this still has to be someone who's considered desirable or attractive by that standard. Like, nobody wanted to put a picture of, like, an obese 15-year-old. Everyone was so happy to jump on the story of the 15-year-old bulimic. And, like, there's a whole, like, there, like when you when you start talking about it in public, you still almost have to be, like, you have to be the epitome of uh, the desirability in yourself. Yeah, um... Uh, going back to like the whole issue of media rep, I mean, w- with all the division that's uh, that's been caused by like uh, to all the boys I've loved before, uh, a question I want to ask is, is like we we like a lot of Asian Americans are told to strive for media representation, but that's also operates under the assumption that any representation of Asians equally benefits everyone, and I don't think that's true. We see that when like genderized uh, representation. I mean, there are like some. Some movies coming out, which is like an Asian guy with a with a white girl. There's a, there's actually a Netflix movie called The Earthquake Bird that's apparently being made right now with like some Japanese actor and Alicia Vikander from uh, Ex Machina and Riley Keough. Um, I, I think she's the actress from uh, Under the Silver Lake. And, you know, it's like they're fairly popular actresses. So if you're like an Asian guy and you really want to see that, I, mean, I think this is a pretty big score for for you. Um, Taipei is coming out with Justin Chan. That's based on uh, a novel by the Asian American writer Tao Lin. Uh, I think that also has an Asian guy with a white girl. But I don't want this to turn into some arms race where Asian men and Asian women are trying to outdo each other and keep score on who's getting like the hotter white co-star. I mean, what the hell is that? That's not... Uh, what that tells me, like the question you just posed there, like Asian women and Asian men um, in an arms race, like... Who who are we fighting against, right? Who's who's who called this war, right? And it wasn't us. So I mean, this is this goes back to if we want to see ourselves succeed in this image-dominated sphere, 
the game is rigged by white people. So, um, so you have to, so if you want prominence, if you want visibility and success out there, you have to appeal to that audience and they love seeing themselves. So I think this, this division that we see in media is reflective of, uh, a, a pathological media landscape that still is centering white people. No one, I mean, I mean, it's funny, like the big sick was, I was pretty gross overall, but uh, Kumail Nanjiani, the, the star, um, did put out a tweet uh, sometime after that uh, with uh, some backlash against a movie that was going to be repopulated with black people for the next, uh, in, a, in, a, in a do-over. Um, and he was responding to that and said, you know, um, okay, for, you know, I know you guys, meaning white people, can learn to identify with uh, non-whites. I had to do it all the time growing up. Right. And so, like, I think that's reflective of, like, of, like white people just aren't trained to be able to see themselves in anything other than other white people. Right. Like, they literally cannot process, um, like, say, a romantic coupling between, like, like non-white people, like completely non-white people. And I think there's been a lot of normalization in black media, but, like, that was a long time coming. Yeah, which is why I think so many white fans of uh, the To All The Boys I've Loved Before, they they, they, they can't, because they're imagining themselves as the female protagonist. And of course, since all their interests are usually only ever white, they, they can't see the issue with this. They think they're, they're like, praise diversity. This is so great. We have like people of color in, in this movie, but they don't, they can't see the problem it's caused when you only let certain uh, people of color in because now they're gonna uh, inject themselves into the protagonist role and when they see outside it's gonna be exactly the same right it's gonna be the, the even the white parents the white love interests the white culture so to them it's very safe and familiar with with the veneer of being like radically diverse yeah and I think uh, where Jenny Han could have really reached uh reach that audience of young Asian women is to is to fill that gap like maybe it was autobiographical maybe it was a projection of fantasy I think it says a lot about what it what it means if she's only able to fantasize about you know white and you know a black person right like coincidentally enough the two the two races that are that have the highest amount of visibility in the media landscape uh, I think she could have even if that were true, I think she could have done a lot of good in pushing the narrative further by including a hot storyline uh, that that um, with an with an Asian man. Oh, Jess, you brought up the Big Sick, and uh, I mean the Big Sick got a, a fair number of criticism, especially from South Asian uh, like feminists who accused it of you know like worshiping white women. Uh, I, there was a more intense attack on Master of None for for the same thing. And I agreed with those criticisms. I thought, I, you know, I, I hate Master of None. I never saw The Big Sick. Don't really have a big interest in seeing it. Uh, but see, what I'm now interested in, in is when the genders are reversed now, and now it's the woman of color enjoying the attention of like the, the dominant racial group. Are these uh, groups also going to call it out? Or is this more of a personal like social interest thing in which men of color with white women is a threat. So that must be called out and policed. Whereas women of color with white men, that's okay. And a bunch of reasons are used to justify it. And I mean, we see this all the time uh, in which like just pure self-interest is masqueraded as some kind of like greater 
uh, like political or social movement. I mean, uh, a lot of guys get called out on it, like men of color who think just like going around fucking a lot of white women is some kind of progress. And they get, I think, rightfully called out. But I think you also have to watch it out on the on the women's side, too, because I think it's very easy to say, uh, well, it's okay when, when women of color do it because men of color are all like backwards, patriarchal, third world, uh, whatever, and then falsely portray white men, uh, even as they say they're fighting against white, white patriarchy as an abstract. But when it comes to the actual individuals in their personal lives, all tend to gravitate towards white men. Um, I would say, uh, I mean, I'm not connected so much with that, uh, that, that the activist uh, circles, the POC activist circles, where most of these writers tend to come from. My feeling is um, that it's not, it's not about, it's, it's not about the men, actually, in this, in this particular equation. It's about feeling allyship with the woman. So, uh, you know, holding fast to more ideological principles, like, like respecting a woman's right to do with her body as she chooses, you know, so long as it's, you know, it's ethical and responsible. Um, and just holding fast to that. And then the men, the men are secondary to that. So, you know, in this, in this time of like believing women and protecting, protecting their freedoms, um, uh, there's no, there's no, there's no way in the current uh, framework to really be able to, to responsibly uh, call out a woman's choices without also attacking her right to choose. Yeah, there's a there's a great article by this. Uh, I think she's like British Indian, uh, Amir Srinivasan. She wrote this uh, great article in the London Review of Books, I believe it's called. But yeah, it dis- discusses this uh, question, and this was like in the wake of of like that attack in Toronto by the guy in the van, and I think there was a similar attack afterwards, and like uh, incels and that thing suddenly uh, became a really hot topic again. And she talked about this uh, tension between yeah. A women's like we all have the right to choose our own like personal uh, tastes and preferences, especially if you're a woman, because it's been so policed just throughout history by by men. Yet on the other hand, so many of those choices are like infected with racism, classism, all sorts of prejudices. And just as a woman has the right to her own autonomy, well, the men also have a right to fight back against those prejudices. And I mean, she doesn't come up with a supreme solution because, you know, no one else, no one can right now. It's a very difficult topic, but it's not just about men trying to police women. There are certain, you know, things that all that should be addressed. Right. Uh, let me, maybe I'll just finish my thought in that case. Um, so nobody, everyone has the right to choose. That's sacrosanct. And I, and I hold firm to that men, women, um, you you absolutely do have the right to choose. Uh, no one can police you for that. However, you I think where we push that conversation further is you also should have the right to be able to choose uh, when it comes to say a a, a a dating or marriage partner. You also have the right to choose who is absolutely best to you, like uncoerced, right? Like you shouldn't. It's 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 the sign of an unhealthy world when you're selecting a partner based on like survival, right? Like, is this person gonna help me advance in the in the, like, am I gonna? Can I feel less insecure with this person? Can this person heal my my wrongs? Am I? Can this person help me like leave myself behind? Right. That's the sign of pathology, right? So you sh- so we can take that conversation further by saying like we need to be able to create a media landscape a, a landscape in a societal landscape where you are free to make the choice that is right for you 
And that's not, that's irrespective of, like, I can't say that, you know, like, to an Asian woman, like, an Asian man will make you happy, or a white man, like, it's not about that. It's about you, like, you as a woman being, like, being secure enough in yourself, and feeling centered in that, and, and having those options presented fairly, right? Like, you have the right to choose a white man, um, but I think you do yourself a favor by being by being aware of all the pressures that you are facing that might prejudice you to look upon this group favorably and negatively upon this group and when uh when you when you take a look at yourself and what you when you what you believe in and you know everything about you and you just you have an open mind you may have found your soulmate in a group that you were previously conditioned to think was undesirable like all that is possible right and that's not talking about violating choice. It's talking about actually like, like you have the you do have the right to choose like completely. Like I would feel sad for an for say an Asian woman who, who wanted to date a, a white guy because she was ashamed of herself. And that's not about attacking her for being racist against Asian men. I'm I'm framing this as you are doing a disservice to yourself. This is this is not based on a healthy foundation for a good relationship. I mean, and if uh, if you're more liable to swipe left on Tinder on an Asian guy because you think, you know, you have all these stereotypes about him, but you're more likely to forgive, uh, say, another group of, of men who do the same thing because of all that conditioning that's put upon you. Like, like that's something that, like, like things like this podcast kind of wants to talk through, right? Like, you should, we, we should be giving people the means to think critically about their own choices, completely aside from like any thought of policing or retribution or ret or you know retribution or anything like that like this isn't even like this is political only in the sense that we're trying to create that we're trying to create some fairness for everyone here well what i was gonna i was gonna yeah definitely i i definitely want to chime in there too because i i there's definitely a lot of parts what just said that hit home because like for instance uh, we know certain things you have a choice of. You have a choice to do whatever the heck you want with your body, to marry whoever you want, whatever career choice you have. The only thing is, though, is I think podcasts like this and when we speak about it is, is to let people be aware of when you do this, this usually is a symptom of this. And the outcome is usually that, right? I don't think we're trying to say, well, you can't date a person of color or this person because uh, we have the rights to them. That's not what we're saying. It's when it comes from a place of not being authentic, that's when it gets really crummy, right? Because you're not really be, being authentic in a sense of like, well, uh, I just don't find Asian guys attractive. Well, what's the real reason why you don't want to date an Asian guy? It's, uh, well, I just, you know, my parents, right? Like, they just, they remind me of my fa like my family and stuff like that. Well, what's the real reason, right? They just don't want to get that, which usually comes from a feeling of, like, insecurity and stuff like that, you know? Like, and actually, I think what we're doing is opening up their choices, not shutting down your choices. We're trying to, like, open up the choices of, like, hey, you don't have to just date a white guy. Uh, you can also date a black guy or an Asian guy. Or, or a freaking woman if you want, if you are a woman. You know, like, don't close your mind off just because of these stereotypes and trying to say, well, like, well, I can make my own choices. But actually, you end up not making your own choices because you're, like, washed to, to think, like, white is the only thing. You're actually limiting your own choices and actually not having as many choices. 
Yeah, I, I see a I see a change coming. Like, uh, like Kevin, you were talking about you know modeling in Asia, right? The value of how whiteness is kind of like a currency of value. Like, uh, like, and Asian people kind of pick up on that proximity as kind of a token. Like, I mean, it's advertising for other Asians, right? It's not even for white people. But, like, like whiteness is just, like, a little marker of, like, status or something, right? Like having a BMW or something in the driveway versus, like, an Acura, right? So I think, like, societally what, what like, what I see coming is, like, is Asian Americans not feeling the need to ally with whiteness so much. Like, when we talk about representation, we talk about Hollywood, and Hollywood is still the big player, but now we're in a richer landscape where, like, where self-made media stars are a possibility, right? Like, y you know, you yourself are an example of that. Like, in social media, like in Instagram, you know, style blogger, like, style blogging, uh, that whole scene in general that, that thrives off of social media. Asian people, uh, like, Asian women, I see a lot of prominent Asian women in, like, the style circles. But I'm also starting to see more, like, Asian men as well. And I think we have the means to be able to support our own in that, right? Like completely irrespective of uh, of whiteness or even any other POC group, really. Like we can be centered in ourselves without needing to trade around tokens of whiteness, like 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 that's our like currency, right? We don't need to show other Asians how great we are because you know because of this kind of like like symbol of whiteness that we own that we possess, right? So I and I see I see that kind of in the, I see that on the on the horizon, so I do see a lot of optimism. And I think in that kind of landscape, I think uh, like the question of you know, like are Hapa's Asian? I think that kind of answers itself. Like of course they can be. They're welcome to, you know, once we like we have this thriving community. If you want to join, like join, but it's from a position of strength as a community, right? Not like not worshipping hapas or like needing to exclude them to kind of get a sense of like racial purity in ourselves this is more like like we have like this is some kick-ass shit like of course you would want to be a part of this you should be feel lucky to be a part of this and i think they have a place in that too yeah i mean i think it's just more hurtful like when the old when your own race and the opposite gender is just talking shit about your own race and your gender, you know, it's just like, I think that's where it gets really ugly in a lot of sense. Um, and I think that's where I think what you were just saying about that before with um, not not having to ally with white people, right? Um, if we actually allied with ourselves more, and I mean, they would need us more than we would need them at the end of it. I mean, it's a, it's it's a vibrant community. I've always been extremely proud to be Asian, and not not. I mean, it like I had to learn how to be like Asian American in a sense, like like it was always unquestioned to me, right? Like, and I think that's just from like where I grew up, right? So like like it seemed like the Asian American narrative was always like going through a period of alienation, disaffection with yourself, uh, and then kind of devaluing and kind of relearning that, like. And I just had, and that that's completely foreign to me. Like I felt like an outsider. I felt like, like, uh, like I didn't belong, and I felt all that. But that that had nothing to do with like my race, right? The one thing, the one thing of myself that I absolutely cannot change. So I I feel for that. How deeply that must hurt if something so critical to your understanding of yourself is also the thing that you need to feel like you need to get away from. 
And there's no escaping yourself. Uh, so, like, and so where I want, like, 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 authors of works meant for young people is to kind of reinforce that. Reinforce the normalness of being Asian. Reinforce, it's not about even, like, like, oh, this person went to Harvard and, like, was a billionaire by the age of 22. Like, it's not about promoting that, but it is about, like, about putting enough signals out there that this is a thriving, rich community that you should feel fortunate to be a member of. And that you can feel centered in yourself and your community without needing to, to like shed your skin and run off some somewhere else. Like that's the sense that I want. I mean, and it, like we're talking about interracial relationships because that's the most obvious like manifestation of it. But this is one layer behind. Sounds like a great place to end it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually uh, in a few hours. I'm gonna be in a shuttle because I have to be go to Vegas this weekend for. For a buddy's bachelor party. He said the weather's going to be like over 100 degrees in the desert. So I'm bracing myself. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Actually, uh, one, of, uh, one of the guys in the text group said, we're going to a pool party. And he said, oh, actually, don't go in the water. It's disgusting. Like, all these people are drinking and nobody actually goes to the bathroom. You know, put two and two together. And, like, I hate public pools just to begin with. I'm not a germaphobe, but I just don't like them. And just, you know, there's yeah. like pools of filth or whatever but oh now now i got to deal with that too so <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah no don't don't go outside don't go outside like those pool parties are are just they're awful and they're always packed yeah uh, I, so like, i've never been really to one not... i don't i mean like i don't really want to know what i'm wait kevin you don't go to these pool parties do you nah not normally okay i was gonna say <laughs> i don't want to know what kind of people love to go to these things i don't really want to find out <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, uh, I went a few years ago um, to the win, um, and it happened that a really prominent uh, like Instagram like model, Amy Song, uh, was also there. I think she was doing she was doing a paid promotion for the hotel or some event that was that was happening. Uh, it was obnoxious because there were so many people, but she had like guards to blockade off parts of the uh, the pool so she could take her pictures. And they were like, what, what is uh, up with this it. bitch? Like, like she was taking up like the entire space. And then, and then I, and then I checked her Instagram after that, and I like, oh, I get it, because those pictures made it look like she had the entire pool to herself, without like the throngs of plebeians. I saw this thing on Twitter. I think it's in LA. They said they have, you know, like a lot of people like to take pictures in front of, you know, like murals and graffiti things like that. They had this section that was only for people with blue checks either under twitter or instagram and like holy yeah. fuck this is like this is like the shit you read in like a, a few hundred years there was like this like revolution in the year like 2019 where a bunch of people lost their heads and it's like this is gonna be one of those things <laughs> they read about all right and thanks for listening to this episode of escape from plan a uh, i was oxford with jess and our special guest kevin Kreider. if you like us you can go look us up on itunes soundcloud and google play and if you really like us please subscribe and give us five stars and hey why don't you leave a comment too and if you want to read our articles please go to planamag.com uh, all right everyone have a good week we'll see you next time Bye.